from magical movies. All it takes is faith and trust. Oh, and something I forgot. To unforgettable adventures. Well, once there was a princess. I'm an outlaw, that's what. That's no life for a lovely lady always on the run. From the thrill of the theater to the comfort of your home. Do you want to build a snowman? Or ride a bike around the I don't care how you kill the little beast, but do it! And do it now! You can always count on something new from Disney. That's why they call me Thumper. For the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your stuff. Look, have I got it? The magic feather. Now you can fly. Ohana means family. Just a sec. Buzz, will you get up here and give me a hand? I'm taking you to someplace pretty special. You won't find him here. <laughs> the king has returned. Join us for discussion and commentary as we open the Disney Vault with your hosts, Steve Glosson and Teresa Delgado. Well, hello and welcome to the most magical podcast in the Goliverse, nay, the entire world, I believe so. It's Disney Vault Talk, and what an episode we have for you today as we are going to be tackling Atlantis, the lost empire, a a lost gem, if you will, of a little bit of a movie. We'll talk all about it and more as we get into this episode uh, for those listening live at Mixer.com slash Goliverse, this is a middle-of-the-day episode, 2 o'clock Eastern. and um, it, it's, Never been done before. It's, except for marathon days, it's, it's never, never been done, but it's never been done before. But here we are. We're breaking new ground. We're doing new things. And to help us do that is, of course, you heard her already. She is the lovely, the talented, the powerful, Teresa Delgado. Hello, Teresa. Hello, Steve. How's it going? How it's going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah. Uh, I like middle of the day podcasting, honestly. <laughs> it, oh, yeah? It's fun. Okay. It's so different than what I usually do. Yeah, it is. It, well, we're, we're also used to like, well, what time can you do it tonight? Well, because everyone has jobs. Right. And lives. And so, <clears throat> so usually the evening is the only time it'll work, but... Uh, I now have a job that affords me the opportunity to be able to just kind of stop in the middle of the day and do this thing. And I love it. Love it. So Shaz Bazaar. Yeah, Shaz has see, been... Look, yeah. you never see a Shaz. You never see a Shaz. During a DVT recording. We got... <laughs> you never see a Shaz during a... <laughs> we don't really keep Shazes down here in the vault with us. Uh, you got Sarah Woloski hanging in the chat. Our good friend Carissa's around. So yeah, it's just it's great. Um, it, it's a it's a neat thing. But uh, we're also talking a really interesting movie today, Teresa. 
it, you can say interesting. Yeah, yeah, it you is. You can say different. It is different. It is. You can't different. say bad. I don't think you can. No, you can't. I'll be honest with you. I don't. Bad. I don't think you can. I mean, if you do, you're going to be forced to back it up. Yeah, and, and I don't. And I, there's not. You can't. Right. I mean, it's not. We'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into <laughs> I'm it. I'm just going to say. We'll get into it, but I know we've got a few emails to get to as well. So. See, was not prepared for that part. Oh, okay. <laughs> But I can I can roll with it. You yeah. just tell me what we're doing, and I'm all on top of well, it. Well, we got it. We got a few emails. Um, let me uh, let me make sure. You know which ones? Maybe. I don't. Um, when was the last time we actually recorded? Um, not last week. The week before last. I think so. All right. Well, here we go. When you mail a letter, you can send it anywhere. On foot, by truck, by aeroplane, the postman gets it there. So write a letter to a friend, maybe she'll write you. No matter what, you always know the mail must go through. We need those letters. From General Lee, dear son, we're waiting for the Huns at the pass. It would mean a lot if you'd come and back us up. Oh, can you read this? There's no pictures. Then I'll put that flea in a box, and then I'll put that box inside of another box, and then I'll mail that box to myself. And when it arrives, ah! All right. Well, uh, are you are you there with the email yet, Teresa? Yeah. That's where are we at? Uh, let's start with Jessica Wren. Okay. All the way back from May 16. Want me to read? Yeah, go for it. All right. It says, greetings, Steve and Teresa. Hi, my name is Jessica, and I'm a longtime listener to Disney Vault Talk. Love your show and just wanted to write in at long last. I think I remember discovering this podcast around the time when you were reviewing Peter Pan. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, did we, were we friendly to Peter Pan? Not really. I okay. don't think so. All right. Great. Good. Okay. I became hooked and an avid listener ever since. I've never, I've, yeah, I've never skipped an episode. My favorite Disney movies are The, Le- the Lion King, Wreck-It Ralph, Zootopia, Lilo and Stitch, and Robin Hood, but of course I like a lot of them, but those are my top favorites, just to name a few. Disney has always been a precious thing in my life. I've been to Disneyland almost every year of my life. I have family down there in Southern California, so I go to see them often. Sure you do. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you, you go to see them, not to, not to go to <laughs> Disneyland. She says, so you could say I'm a Disney super fan. But aside from Disney, I love Star Wars. My top favorite characters are Kylo Ren, Uh-oh. Aura Singh, Cad wow. Bane, wow. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Kanan Jarrus, and Harrison Dula. I mean, she went from the dark to the light. In like a, in almost, you know, sort of. In this in this wild spectrum. Yeah. Was- <laughs> yeah. You went from like the darkest of dark, because mm-hmm. I feel like. Kylo Ren is super dark. Oh, wow. Okay. To That's just because he scared you at Disney World. He didn't... He just disliked me. He was mean. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I believe there was a situation where he <laughs> followed you out, and you turned around, and there he was. You saw the look he gave me when he walked by later? <laughs> yeah, I that mean, was very intimidating. I'm not going to lie to you. And I said as we were standing there, because he kind of stared us both, I'm like, yeah, that is intimidating. It is. Yeah. It is. So, let's see. Where is she? I'm an avid listener of Rebel Force Radio, Rebel Yell, Full of Sith, and of course, Fangirls Going Rogue, Fangirl Flail. You know how to do it, Steve. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, thanks for everything you do, and I'll write in again sometime soon. Peace out. P.S. Bo, before I forget, I think 
there are penguins on my body. <laughs> oh my god, there's penguins on my body. Um. All right, we'll do this. Jamie Rotella uh, chimed in way back in May, May 17th, said, So sad you guys will be on a break, but obviously thrilled that you'll get to go to Walt Disney World together. Have a magical time. I stumbled across this video the other day and thought you guys uh, would enjoy it during your hiatus. <clears throat> this video, by the way, that she refers to is um, Disney and Pixar singing Hello. It's a guy named Brian Hall. And I assume he's doing voices. Hello. Let's Olaf. <laughs> it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to meet. That's Bert from Mary Poppins. To go over. Gaston. Everything, Belle. <laughs> they say that I'm supposed to heal you, but I ain't done much healing. Hello. That's Bruce from Finding Nemo. Can't you hear me? Sure. I'm in California dreaming about who we used to be. That was crushed from Finding Nemo. Wow, that's Bruce. Who was the one before Bruce? He was uh, Mr. Big from Zootopia. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I was like, oh, I don't know that one. Brian Hall. Uh, and he goes through, I'm just going to kind of scroll. He's got Hammy. Um, or Ham from Toy Story, Cogsworth in there, and I'm just bumming through Pumbaa, um, Mr. Smee from Peter Pan, Pete, uh, you know, that's Mickey's nemesis, but later he would be Goofy's next-door neighbor. Uh, he does Minnie in there, and Goofy, it looks like, and um, several others. So check him out. Brian Hull, Disney and Pixar, sings Hello. 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 Whenever that song starts out, I always go to Lionel Richie. Mm-hmm. Is it me you're looking for? But uh, Adele has taken that word back from Lionel, so to say. You want to okay. hear Dominique? Oh, yeah. Okay. She says, Dear Stephen Teresa, I have been listening to the show for a while now, and I don't even remember how I stumbled onto your podcast, but I'm so happy I did. I kind of fell behind listening, so I'm only starting the Hunchback episode. But whenever, but because of this podcast, whenever I hear Circle of Life, I now hear penguins on my body, and I will never unhear it. We have ruined. <laughs> I blame my sister. That song. I blame my sister. I love Disney so much, and even at 28 years old, I get excited about anything Disney-related. My mom bought my brother and I as many VHS tapes as she could whenever Disney decided to release them from the vault. I love her favorites that she watched as a kid, such as Robin Hood and The Jungle Book. I am so happy you guys are finally on the movies from the 90s, which are the movies I grew up watching. Oh, we're way past that, Dominique, now. We are in the 2000s. We're in the alts. And this one is very... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> this one says 2000. <laughs> you know what? Okay. Oh, never mind. I'll hold it. Okay. <laughs> I'll hold it all. All right. I love learning the history and the facts about these movies I love. I am constantly telling my boyfriend all the new facts I learned, and even though I probably annoy him with all the facts, he lets me tell him regardless. Now, I've always loved Ariel and the Little Mermaid as a kid because she knew what she wanted and went for it, but as I've gotten older, I've grown to love Belle more. 
I feel I am more like her being feisty, loving to read, and just being unique. I do have a question for you guys. Maybe you have talked about it and I haven't heard it yet. But this February, Disney released Snow White again on Blu-ray under what is called the Walt Disney Signature Collection. Do you know what other movies that may be getting released under the collection? I'm trying to get as many Disney movies that I can. Because when I have children one day, I want to sit with them and share these movies from my childhood. Dominique. Well, all God willing that when you have kids, Blu-ray is still a thing. Well, that's true. That's true. I I was at my my parents' house uh, this past weekend, of course, and and even just before I moved, I was there. And I forget if it was this past weekend or, or before I moved, but at some point we opened a closet, and there were just stacks upon stacks of, of VHS tapes, and so many of those old Disney clamshells sitting in there. Mm. You know, with I mean, for with everything, everything, and I'm just like, I cannot believe how many of these my parents bought over the years. And she's like, well, you know how them youngins would just wear them out. Because my mama knew that I'd, I wasn't sitting there watching Disney movies all the time. I'm like, yeah, they sure did. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, that's, that's one of those things of, of just this opening this closet and seeing all these things. And then seeing some of these VHS tapes people trying to sell for ungodly amounts on, on the eBay. Yeah. Um, that's just silly. It's ridiculous. Why why would anyone pay $1500 for a VHS tape? Um I've no idea and I would never do that. I don't even have something that would play them. Well, I mean I do. And but I believe they just made the ah! last What is happening? What is going on? Oh, you, I was trying to get on Mixler. Mixler must have launched. My um, computer is having issues, <clears throat> and I couldn't get on it on my computer, so I launched it on my phone. Apparently, they just made the last VCR not long ago. Oh, really? Yeah, like was it like they, a celebration of this is the last one? I, I just think it, I think like the last one was shipped out, and and that that, that it's officially over as a thing. Um, Someone just was like, oh, this is a neat medium to watch stuff. Yeah. I'll buy one. But they're no longer making them. I believe Shaz told me that. Um, he would know. He yeah. is the king of techno retro. Yeah, he sure is. But anyhow, I say that to say I was just responding to her talking about all the VHS tapes. And you saying Blu-ray may be around still. I, I don't know. I I like a physical medium. I like having a shelf that I can peruse you know thank with, you with me with the, too with the please tell aaron goins that i mean i he, will I, if he I, gets on my nerves with his i only want it on digital I, I don't want the stuff it's just too much clutter clutter my foot well i like having a shelf you know or a set of shelves wherein i can kind of peruse the titles and that sort of thing but i generally find myself using the digital copies more and more and more yeah, um, but I still want to have it, them. That's how I am. Exactly. That's why I buy Blu-ray slash digital. Yeah, like when it has, you want when to it have comes with the digital copy. That's right. Exactly. So, um, anyhow, what were we talking about? Oh, do you know of any other things that are coming on the Disney Signature Series? Oh, yes. So, the Disney Signature Series is just like any other, you know, gold or platinum or... Pearl. Oh, oh there's a pearl? That. No. Oh, okay. I think they did diamond. I was just making stuff up. But basically, it's their way to re-release films and be like, look, it's new. We added one new thing in the special features. So they started with Snow White and they did, uh, I think, Dumbo and Alice so far. I have some of them. I think. Okay. So. All right. It's just the thing that Disney sure. does. 
I got you. That's what they're calling this particular run. Yeah, it's just when they start re-releasing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we do down here. It's we, like Snow White hasn't been out in like two years. Well, so. we haven't had Snow White out in a while. Let's throw that out there and make I everyone. I don't think we've used the term signature before. Mm, signature sounds good. Let's put signature on there. I'll take it. I'll accept that. We'll put. I will release it under the signature series. That'll be nice. That'll be good. That'll be nice. Um. Let's see. I'll just read this last one here from Richard Allison, and then we'll move on. We do have some audio comments from Jason Hunt of the Wampus Lair, mm-hmm. but I'd like to hold those off until next time. Yeah, no, good. Because So Jason was supposed to do the Emperor's New Groove with us. Uh, I had promised it to him. Yeah. But because of how we ended up taking our break and Emperor's New Groove was our first show back, uh, it just didn't work out that way because we were trying to plan it around our schedule. So I promised him that we could have him on for another show, and I thought maybe like the next time we do a top ten, we will. Because I thought he would be really fun for that. Yeah, he will be. He's a fun guy. He's a fun guy. Uh, so this comes from Richard, Richard Allison. Uh, he says, "Hello, Steve, uh, Teresa, and Steve. Sorry it's been so long since I've emailed. I stay ridiculously busy, but busy." Not Disney. <laughs> Disney is what you do when you're at Disney World. You're Disney. Um, I stay ridiculously busy, but Disney Vault Talk and the Goldiverse shows help me get joyfully through my week. When last we left off eight and a half months ago, I was detailing why Ariel was my favorite Disney princess. Let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. I was recounting the experience my family and I had at Disney World having dinner at Cinderella's Castle. You suggested that I write back and tell you more about my daughter's Mackenzie and Emily Star Wars fandom, so this is said email. And thank you, Teresa, for correcting me on character actors versus real people. Ariel is real, and you have a thing for cartoon dogs who eat spaghetti. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) I saw Star Wars in the theaters in 1977 as a nine-year-old and have been a fan ever since. Once I had kids, well, my wife did all the work. I look forward to the day I could show them the greatest movie franchise in cinematic history. Is that overselling it? Nope. Starting with the original trilogy, originally, originally, original trilogy first, and then moving to the prequels. My daughters were as enthralled as I was with the movies, and are still mega fans of this day. Both can't wait to visit Celebration Orlando in 2017, and are looking forward to meeting these podcasters named Steve and Teresa. Oh, I'd like to meet them too. Me too. Um. I feel like we have a lot in common with Steve and Teresa. You and me? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we'd get along well. Uh, yes. So they each have their favorite characters. Mackenzie loves Ahsoka and Emily is all about Darth Vader. As the younger of the two, she never saw the evil in him as much as his redemption story. My oldest, Mackenzie, is even wanting to, co- is even wanting to cosplay, but she's not sure who she wants to do. Ahsoka or Rey? Both great choices. Um, why not do both? There's multiple days to Star Wars Celebration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, do both. I was able to take them to see Episode One in 3D when it came out four years ago, and many of the 501st Rebel Legion and R2 Builders Club were there, which only fed their fandom. I attached a pic of, this event for you, of that event for your enjoyment. The girls absolutely loved it. As you can imagine, now being able to see a new Star Wars movie for the first time, The Force Awakens with my daughters, was an amazing experience. And we can't wait to see more. It's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. I'll wrap this up with one last thought that isn't Star Wars related. Growing up in the 70s and 80s, my favorite Disney film was Pete's Dragon. The combination of cartoon and live action captured my imagination, and the music was just so fun. 
I don't know when or if you'll ever get around to doing the live-action Disney shows, but if you ever do a Pete's Dragon episode, I'd love to be a part of it. I'm cautiously optimistic about the new one coming out next month, and I hope the reimagining of it will do the original proud. Take care, Teresa and Steve, and I look forward to many more magical adventures inside the Goliverse. Your friend in the force, Rusty. Oh, I like that. Your friend in the force. Yep. Uh, so his little girls at the uh, at the Phantom Menace in 3D premiere, standing with R2D2. Great picture, Rusty. Thank you for or Richard. Thank you for sending that on. Rusty, Rusty, Richard, Rusty, and Richard are the same person. Richard, you need. Mm. It's kind of like Steve and Teresa, but, but we're not the same person. We're not, I'm not going to start any, I'm not going to have an email name that says Steve and then sign it Teresa. You should do that one time. I'm going to start. Now, never mind. So, That'd all be right. Funny. I always thought Rist, Richard and Rusty were two different people, but now I know they're the you same. You're calling him Risty. I, we can start. Let's call him Risty. All right, Risty. That's all you. Thank you. And, and to your oh, girls. Wait. Yes. Just don't get me. Wait, he's in our. He's in the Mixler chat. Yeah. I mean, he said, "Don't get me confused with Richard." No, that's Rusty Owens. Oh. Not Rusty Allison. I'm so confused. Mm-mm, I'm not confused. No, I'm not yet. I mean, I am, but not. <sighs> let's just do. Di- let's just do Disney Watch. How about that? Okay. Hey, watch it! Watch! Watch it! Watch yourself. Move, move. Bob, who goes there? Watch it! Now. Watch it! Watch it! <laughs> watch up, my boy. Watch. watch out for my butt alright so we've got just a few things here but the first thing is kind of interesting mm-hmm. because it involves a movie called Splash Yeah. so it's been announced that Disney is doing a remake of Splash and mm-hmm. that Channing Tatum is playing the mermaid that will be in said film mm-hmm. which is strange I mean, that's fine. He's not playing a mermaid. He's playing a merman. <laughs> Sorry. And... The the thing says mermaid. The, on the Hollywood Reporter, it says Channing Tatum to play mermaid in Splash. So, he's so go- what if he is? So he's what gonna if be he's a, playing a girl? He's playing a cross-dressing... Okay, gotcha. Mermaid. A merman. Um, here, look. I This is what... Arish Chernovice texted me last night. We were talking back and forth. And he mentioned them doing Splash, and I texted back, that's great. That's exactly what we needed. <laughs> a remake of Splash. I know. Like, perfect. Well done. <laughs> Way to go, guys. Good, good choice. Way to go. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't really care. I, that's where I'm at. I mean, Channum Tatum. Channum Tatum. Channum Tatum. Okay, hmm. midday podcast. Can't pronounce words. <laughs> Apparently, uh, my mouth is tight. Um, I never can say Channing Tatum. Well, that's a weird name. Yeah. Doesn't change the level of hotness. Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) He is foin. Let me tell you something. Channing. 1998, where people said foin. Yeah, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. (laughs) Channing Tatum. Can of Tatum. He is quite the hotness. He's quite the he's quite the man. He's not quite a Chris Pine. He's not quite a Liam or Chris Hemsworth, but he's up there. He is. He is. 
But he's also shown himself. Now, I guess Chris Hemsworth has shown himself to be really funny in Ghostbusters. I've not had a chance oh to see Oh, my God. It yet. He's the best Kevin I've ever known. <laughs> that's what that's what everyone says, that he's like... Um, he does a dance sequence at the end. <laughs> that's what I hear. Um, it's so sexy so and I've cute. Got, so i got to go see that. But Channing Tatum has a lot of good comedic chops as well. Like he does. He's, he's the 21 he's and 22 a, Jump Street. On a, what's it called? Lip sync? Oh, Lip yeah. sync battles with his wife, like competing against his wife. Some of the best stuff ever. Well, he also, you know, is in the 21 Jump Street and the 22 Jump Street with Jonah Hill and holds his own. He's great. Mm-hmm. Chris Pine is more of a... Um, he's a sexy man, and I'm a pine nut. <laughs> Did you say he's a sex man? He's a sexy man. Oh, sexy man. <laughs> I was like... Anyhow, let's be honest. The only reason this is... the Remaking Splash and having Channing Tatum play the merman mermaid role is just an excuse to have him shirtless in a, in a movie. I agree. And I mean, look, that's fine. That's great. But do something. Do Magic Mike 3XL or whatever the case may be. I want him to have a blue fin with, like, green. Okay. Sort of like an ombre look. Mm-hmm. That's well, what I would like. Maybe he will. Maybe. Or, like, red. <coughs> Who was in the original Splash? That was... um. Daryl Hannah and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, okay. And nobody is better than Tom Hanks. I'm sorry. Tom Hanks is my, like, all-time male movie crush yes so we should have tom hanks play the tom hanks role yeah okay that'd be weird Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay you can't do that because now you're saying a movie with two guys oh okay (laughs) in today's day and age with female ghostbusters you can't do that i'm just kidding (laughs) so all i'm saying is um I'm so excited about this news. I can't think of anything we needed more in our entertainment than a remake of Splash. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay, so our next story centers something that I am still conflicted about, which is... You're really struggling with this thing. Oh, I, I am having a really... You know how some people were having trouble with, like, Maleficent live action or Cinderella. Right. I'm struggling with this. Okay. So as we know, Meryl or Meryl Streep, <laughs> the story involves Meryl Streep, but Mary Poppins is being re-released. It's mm-hmm. not a reboot. It's not a remake. It's a sequel, if mm-hmm. you will. Right. And we know that Julie Andrews can't be part of it because she can't sing anymore. Bless her heart. Yeah, due to surgery and stuff. So... This is like a whole, like, what happens after Mary Poppins and the Banks children, which, okay, I get that. But I just can't get my head around anybody being Mary Poppins other than Julie Andrews. So Emily Blunt is playing her, but the newest news is that Meryl Streep is in talks to join Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda, who created Hamilton. Cool job. Um... To join the cast for the sequel, Mary Poppins Returns. Mm-hmm. So, we don't know for sure if she's going to do that. But if she does, her sh- character would be a character known as Topsy, who is Mary's cousin. 
And apparently this character was not in the 1964 film, obviously. Um, but what it looks like the story is going to be from what I've been able to discern is that it's kind of the other Mary Poppins novels, mm-hmm. kind of about that. And it follows Jane and Michael Banks and their kids after they've grown up, like after Jane and Michael have grown up. So we're talking, gosh, what, like 15 years later, maybe more? Yeah, I mean, so <clears throat> depending on how grown up the kids are. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I just I'm still I'm having problems. I'll go see it, and I'm going to try not to have issues and just enjoy it like I like to do when I go to a movie. But I'm just having a hard time. This is interesting to see you in this particular uh, spot, Teresa, because you usually are like, just just enjoy it, people. I know. Just go and I... enjoy it. And But you're like, I don't know if you, I, Teresa, you're, like, you're really struggling with getting behind this thing. I am. I'm so, you know what, I'm, I'm going to need to see a trailer or something Mm -hmm. and i think once i see a trailer i'll be able to sort of figure out how i feel okay so you know the last thing i want to do is get super excited for it and Mm -hmm. then have it not meet my expectations so i'm trying to keep everything just kind of like way down way way so you're trying to keep from being excited well, I'm not excited yet. Right. So once I see the trailer, then I'm going to, if it's good, if it's good, and then I can be like, okay, and then just be like, all right, it's going to be cool. Yes, yeah, so it would be good. It's kind of like how I was about Rogue One until we saw the sizzle reel mm-hmm. from Celebration Europe, and then I was like, oh, my God. Yes, yes. Ah! And then they all went out on stage, and I was like, it's going to be amazing. And I started crying. See, I haven't had that moment. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, now you could be like Scott Rifen in the chat. He says he likes to have issues when he sees a movie, and I can attest to that. Scott looks for things to hate. Why? Yeah, that's just how he is. That's just how he is. Like I work Does real it hard. Allow him to enjoy the movie more. I don't know. I know it allows him to to tell me what's wrong with my work. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> whenever I do something, and he's 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 quick to tell me what I did wrong. So. Um, anyhow, I, anytime I see him say, make a comment, I have to call him out. But anyhow, um, so you've got, you got the Mary Poppins happening. That's on the thing. That's on the way. We've got Beauty and the Beast on the way right now. Oh my God. Have you seen those trailers? I have not, to be honest with you. What? Um, I've not seen any Beauty and the Beast trailers. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. I take that back. I saw like a teaser. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it gave me chills. Right. Um, we got Pete's Dragon coming here pretty soon. Which I'm confused. Okay. I need to watch the original Peach Dragon. I have it on DVD. I need to do that. I've watched it. I used to watch it as a kid all the time, but I haven't seen it in a while. So, oh my gosh. Ah! What's happening over there? <laughs> it's a cat spaz. Oh. Great. I was so afraid it was going to jump on me. <laughs> You're afraid the cat was going to jump? Yeah. Oh, that was scary. <laughs> did it just kind of come up? Did it just kind of come unglued all of a sudden? It's like, I'm yeah. coming after you. Well, yeah, I'm coming she after jumped you on the table and on the chair, and then she jumped towards me, mm. and I have a can of Dr. Pepper sitting right here, right next to my computer, and I was like, oh, God, but I couldn't move fast enough to protect it. 
but she missed it, and then I thought she was going to land, like, on me. She's like, oh, no, you don't mess with that Dr. Pepper. And then she, like, flew off the table. I don't know. Oh, okay. Crazy. I got weird. So, my, um... Peach Dragon. My, uh, browser window just crashed on me. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so I need to watch it because, like, I re- what I remember is that Pete had his dragon friend named Elliot that mm-hmm. only he could see. But I remember the scene where he was, like, on a playground or something and he was living in a town with, like, a lighthouse. When did it become, like, jungle child Tarzan slash dragon? I honestly don't know. I've never watched Pete's dragon. And, um, I, uh... Uh, in this one, it's like he lived out in the woods by himself for the longest time. That's what it? I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't get it. And also, they aren't showing me what's her name's feet, so I can't tell if she's wearing high heels or not. Who? The girl, the the main girl. Why does it matter if she's wearing high heels? Wow, you missed it. You see, you were supposed to catch the joke. I don't. I'm Did you see Jurassic World? Oh. <laughs> If you would have said Bryce Dallas Howard, oh, <laughs> then I would have totally gotten it. Cool, because it's Bryce Dallas Howard. Anyway. I got you. I'm with you now. I get the joke now. Don't act like... Sh- wait a minute. Hold on. Don't act like I should have gotten a joke when there's not enough context just for so-and-so wearing high heels. Oh, well, well, I guess. I've, they hadn't shown that girl so I can know if she's wearing high heels. Well, what girl? Why are high heels a big deal in Pete's I Dragon? forgot her name, okay? <laughs> Um, I knew it had something to do with Dallas. Yeah. Not the show, right. but her name. Yeah. So we got, anyhow, we got Pete's Dragon happening. And now I'm seeing this for the first time, thanks to your work here in the show notes. Mm-hmm. They're rebooting, relaunching The Rocketeer. Yep. They are. I found this today and I said, ooh, this is going to be good. So there's tentatively a movie coming called The Rocketeers. Mm -hmm. And the main character is going to be an African-American female pilot as the lead. And from what I read is that the story is set six years after the original and Cliff Secord vanished while fighting the Nazis and an unlikely new hero emerges, a young African-American female pilot who takes up the mantle of Rocketeer in attempt... To stop an ambitious and corrupt rocket scientist from stealing jetpack technology in what could prove to be a turning point in the Cold War. Hmm. Hmm. So I thought, since I have such a problem with Mary Poppins, maybe you might have a problem with this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's my problem. See, look, you're already stuttering. You're already like, well, I... Here, here's the problem I have with it, is just reboot it. Don't feel like you got to do a sequel. Don't do some distantly related sequel. Just reboot it. Just just remake the movie however you want to. And if you want a an African-American female lead, go for it. You know, but, but don't... Don't do... Don't do this continuation thing, especially not just six years after. Because six years after, you know, Cliff Secord, if you can't have him show up now, he's too old, mm-hmm. you know, to have been just six years after. So um, 
I I like the Rocketeer. That that first movie is is really good. Um, I don't know that it's underrated. I I think that among people who have seen it, everyone agrees. I just think that it underperformed uh, back in the day, and that it's not something that's on a lot of people's radar. And and I think that's it's the same mistake. I feel like this sounds to me like the same mistake Disney made with uh, in, in some ways with Tron Legacy. Not that not that that movie was a mistake, but it was almost like you've now got to reintroduce everybody to this whole thing rather than just either reboot it completely or, um, or do the work to make sure people know what they're looking at. Uh, There's just, I don't know. It just, it has kind of a, just, just reboot it. Just do a whole new rocketeer. That's what I say. The best thing to come out of Tron legacy was Daft Punk's music. I I like the movie. Well, I like the movie too, but so, I didn't used to like the original Tron. I like it more since Tron Legacy. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of the same as Star Trek, by the way. By oh. the way, did you know that I got trapped in the mall where I work, so I had to go see Star Trek? No. What? When you say you got trapped. So there was a brush fire on the highway right outside the mall. Oh, jeez. And it burned like a huge area, and they shut down all of the roads around the mall. Are you okay? And so you couldn't get out if you wanted to because yeah. the traffic was so bad. So, instead of wanting to sit in my car for three hours trying to get out of the mall, I said, well, I guess I'll just go to the movies, Like since there's a movie theater in the mall. Mm-hmm. And the only thing showing right around the same time was Star Trek. And how was it? I actually really liked it. I liked it more than the second one. Well, that's not hard to accomplish. <laughs> the second one, not that great. Yeah, but there were parts about that one I really liked. Okay. But, you know, I really like this cast from Star Trek, mm-hmm. this particular cast. Well, you're a pun nut. Well, yes, but I'm actually, I really like the guy who plays Spock. And I like the guy who plays Bones. Zachary Quinto. Yeah, so the guy who plays Bones cracks me up. He's funny. Carl Urban. Not the same person as Keith Urban. No, Keith Urban is a country singer from Australia. Got it. Um, How is that in <clears throat> sense? Country singer from Australia. Listen, country is a style. It's not a location. Mm, Texans would disagree with you. Well. Although, like some of the biggest country artists that are from Texas sing Nashville-style country, so whatever. Would you care to expound upon the difference between Texas country and Nashville country? I'm not, I don't know that much about it. All I know is that the people here who like country music here, there's very much a Texas country, which is like Pat Green, mm-hmm. versus Nashville country, which is what would be your like, I don't know, like Brad Paisley maybe? So or the difference between something country and country and western? I guess so. Okay. Is there a difference? No. I think I think that a lot of I think what people there prefer is is like the older stuff like your uh, like your Waylon Jennings and your um, I almost said Marlon Brando but Marlon Brando is not a country singer <laughs> no <laughs> uh, your your Hank Williams etc um, Johnny Cash Johnny Cash uh, hello um, Greg said I was dressed like Johnny Cash the other day were you wearing all black yeah then you were dressed but like I didn't Johnny understand Cash. what he was talking were- about. Maybe you're going to someone's funeral. Um, maybe I am. Um, so anyhow, what are we talking about? Oh, Carl know. Urban, Star Trek. So you liked it. What does that have to do with Tron? Oh, I was just saying that, like, 
the new Tron made me like the old Tron. Gotcha. And the new Star Trek movies have gotten me interested in the old Star Trek. Like the original? Yeah. Okay. But I like the new Star Trek because it's much more Star Wars-y. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like that. May I suggest to you Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Is that the one with the whales? Yes. That's the one I like. Oh, everyone. If you I don't, don't like... like the first one. The first one spends like 50 minutes panning onto yes. the Enterprise. Yes, and it, it exactly. Makes exactly. You're like, okay, good. Look what you guys built. That's what that is. It's like, look what we can do. Uh, the second one is everyone loves it, but I don't think... I think secretly people realize the second one is boring. They just compared it for all... For when it first came out, it was compared to the first one. And it's like, oh, this is amazing. But I think everyone nowadays realizes just how much of a boring movie it is. The third one is good. I like the third one. The Which fourth, one that? that's the one where they go, that's the search for Spock, mm. is the third one. And then the fourth one is The Voyage Home. The fifth one is The Final Frontier. That's where Kirk says, what does God need with a spaceship? And it's not too good. But the sixth one is The Undiscovered Country. And it is versus Klingons. And it's pretty good, I guess. It's more of a mystery. And uh, then you get into the next generation stuff. but Well, and there's a reason I bring up Star Trek, because we're going to talk about it later in regards to this movie. Oh, because mm-hmm. of Leonard Nimoy? There's a tie. No, there's two ties, actually. There's Leonard Nimoy and there's something else. Oh, okay, well. But, real quickly, before mm-hmm. we move on, I just have to make like a Star Wars, Star Trek comparison. Yes. So when the Enterprise is like destroyed, I was thinking The Force Awakens, like, oh, oh, uh, when the Millennium Falcon's getting all beat up. Because it's like the ship, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. It's the ship. And then it's all destroyed and it went bye-bye. And I'll By the like, way, oh, spoilers for Star Trek Beyond, everybody. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and I was like, bye-bye, ship. And then at the end, when they're remaking the ship, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what's this one's name going to be? And then, you know, it does sort of like the fast forward of building the ship real fast. And then it's the Enterprise. And I was like, oh. Yeah, it's the Enterprise. It's just the... I'm like, it's- in Star Wars, we get new ships. Mm-hmm. But in Star Trek, it's the Enterprise, and it just has a new call letters to it, like the NC-1701A or something. Well, see, I just, I had a hard time, like, understanding that. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, well, it's gone, so you get a new one. Yeah. No, the Enterprise <laughs> is a legacy name they're going to keep with the Enterprise. Okay, well. Yeah. This Star Wars fan over here. Mm-hmm. Also, I discovered how I know I'm a Star Wars fan. Because Star Wars is better than Star Trek? Well, no, why? Like, there's a there's a physical way I know. Oh, okay, and that is. I cannot do live long and prosper with both hands. Me either. Me either. I can only do one hand. Which hand is can you do with? I can do it with my left hand, not my right. I can do it with my right hand, not my left. So this is how I know I'm a Star Wars fan because I can't double live long and prosper. Right. Well, I don't think Spock double lives longs and prospers. I don't think anybody. I don't think it's a West Side kind of thing where you're like throwing up your gang signs. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's what it is. Um, anyhow, by the way, everyone, I want to encourage before we get out of the Disney Watch thing. I, I sent Teresa a link the other day to a podcast um, done by Mike Rowe. People know Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs and the Voice of the Deadliest Catch. He does a podcast called The Way I Heard It with Mike Rowe, and it's basically if you remember Paul Harvey. It's basically the rest of the story, um, th- those type of things. And they're, they're seven to eight minutes long each. Uh, they're quick snippets. But he, episode 23, 
I believe, episode 23, um, is an episode entitled Donnie's Secret. And there's just such a great Disney tie-in with it that I'm listening along and all of a sudden when when what it is comes out, I'm like, I immediately text Teresa the link to it. I'm like, you've got to listen to this show. And um, Didn't tell me which episode to listen no, to. No, I told her the wrong episode or I linked her no, to the wrong episode. No, you linked the wrong episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. My phone linked the wrong episode. Um, and so, uh, I want to encourage you guys to listen to it. It's a great story about the, the, uh, the actor who portrayed Bambi in, uh, in, in said movie, the, the, the voice actor, the, the little boy and, and how he grew up. We talked about him growing up and we talked about him having a military career on the show. I remember that much, but this gets into some specifics that are just, um, really, really touching and really really moving and i just wanted to encourage everyone to check that out get up bambi get up bambi get up and the way he says it oh yeah i know the way that micro said it it was really cool but since he linked me to the wrong episode you should listen to episode 24 because that one's about david and goliath and it's pretty interesting (laughs) the whole thing all of them are really really good and like i say you can listen to them quick they hit you in about seven minutes in seven minute snippets, so mm-hmm. uh, I encourage you to check it out. Um, well, let's get into Atlantis, Teresa. Whee! Atlantis, the Lost Empire. Here we go. If adventure has a name, it must be Milo Thatch? I don't think so. Atlantis seems to be Disney's attempt at an Indiana Jones movie before they ever even thought about buying from George Lucas outright. It has all the right elements. It's set during the early 1900s. There's an army trying to find a mystical power source, a power set army, so as to be the most powerful army in the world. Heck, it's 1914 in this movie. You can imagine a young Indiana Jones maybe running into a Milo Thatch and being a little bit influenced by him. Well... His devotion to the truth, maybe. Let's face it, Milo Thatch is no Indiana Jones. He just doesn't have the mileage or the hat or the whip. Look, I'm not here to tell you what Milo Thatch and Atlantis Lost Lost Empire are not. I'm here to tell you what, what it is. And what it is is a surprisingly fun action adventure that maintains that Disney magic and the idea of keeping your dreams alive. It's got great characters, a great villain, an unlikely hero, and it's got Atlantis. What more do you need other than Teresa and I to talk about this? This is Atlantis, 
The Lost Empire. And here's Teresa with some history. I'm sure you know everything there is to know about the castle. Oh, well, actually, I, uh, yes, I do. As you can see, the pseudo-facade was all right, so this is Disney's 41st animated film. Number 41. 41. We're getting close to being caught up, Teresa. Sort of. <laughs> we're about to hit a time period of movies after the next one we're going to do where I don't own most of them, so I may not be able to <laughs> We'll Yeah, we'll figure out a way. <laughs> All right. So it's set in 1914, and the film tells the story of a young man who gains possession of a sacred book, which he believes will guide him and a crew of mercenaries to the lost city of Atlantis. It's, now, like, it's like the Grail Diary from Indiana Jones right. and the Last Crusade. Except for the fact he didn't know they were mercenaries at the time. Right. The penitent man will pass. <laughs> <laughs> the penitent man will pass. The penitent man. That's oh, that's right. I was like, I couldn't understand it. It sounded like you were saying pie Mm -mm. earlier. So, all right. Atlantis, the Lost Empire premiered on like wide release on June 15th of 2001. Mm -hmm. So we are, we're in the aughts. In the aughts. And it was, let's see, it did, it was budgeted at $100 million. It grossed about $186 million worldwide where only 84 million of that came from North America. Wow. Um, but it was profitable by a small amount. Yeah. Well, did you see this movie in the theater? I don't remember if I did or not. I do. This is a weird this is a weird time frame where I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um I was a let's see June of 2001. Uh, I was about to be a junior mm-hmm. in high school oh, or something. So I may not have, and not on purpose. It might have just been on accident of I, doing stuff. I was, at the time, 24. And that would have put my sister, who came on the Little Mermaid episode with us, at, at 14. And we, for some, I don't know why it was us. This, this, I was keeping her from my parents or something. I was staying with her while my parents were out of town. Well, we went over to another place. We went over to actually Brunswick, Georgia, and we're just hanging out. And we decided to go see this movie. I have no idea why. It was like, well, there's nothing else really playing. If I recall correctly, there was nothing else playing. So we went to see this. And, um, I, I don't remember anything about the movie. I, I mean, I watched it since, of course, I watched it for this. And so I didn't really remember anything about the movie except at the end when everything gets quiet for a minute after all the craziness happens and the lava flow and everything. There was this little boy sitting in the theater with his grandmother, I guess. And he just goes, huh? Like just makes this weird noise. And Rebecca and I had to leave. We were laughing so hard <laughs> at, the, at the noises these kids were making. So um, that's what I remember most about this movie is is she and I going to see it and that little boy making weird noises at it as as things got quiet. Well, you know, it's funny. I was watching this. I finished it. I started last night, and I finished it this morning. And at the end part where the like guardians, they clap, and then they make the, the shield kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, Greg goes, 
okay, Harry Potter, because in the last <laughs> Harry Potter movie, they have that big magical shield. That's right. They do, don't they? And I was like, oh, yeah. I got real confused. I looked at it. I'm like, this has no wizards in it. And I was like, oh, I get it. No. Um, but... Yeah, so uh, let's see. The movie was conceived in October of 1996 at a Mexican restaurant. Oh. So the people who created The Hunchback of Notre Dame, or Notre Dame, if you're Steve. Hey, now. They. <laughs> hey, they, let's be nice. <laughs> I'm just kidding, because you kept saying it funny. Well, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Um, dinosaur. Dinosaur. They... They're the ones who actually did this movie, and they wanted to keep the team together. So Don Han, Gary Trousdale, and Kirk Weiss, they wanted to keep the team together and do a film in the Adventureland setting. And so they drew inspiration from Jules Verne's A Journey to the Center of the Earth. Mm -hmm. That was written in 1864. And they this is the very first ever animated Disney, well, Disney-related animation in sort of a science fiction sort of situation yes so this was the first one of those and it's also not a musical which is another really cool thing and i'm going to talk a little bit about what the non-musical version of a animated film allowed them to do character development wise hmm. hopefully you noticed it i think you probably did I've... without noticing okay so they primarily used the internet to research the mythology of Atlantis, but they also used there was a psychic. And this was and this point. was like and this was like the mid late nineties, so they didn't know yet that you couldn't trust everything you read on the internet. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they found this guy, Edgar Edgar Case, I think, and he was a psych a psychic and or a clairvoyant, and he had you know, clairvoyant readings about Atlantis. And mm. what he said was that there was a mother crystal that provided power, healing, and longevity for the Atlanteans. And so they liked that. So they decided to use that as part of the story. <laughs> Guys, he's crazy, but I like that idea, right? That yeah. fits, yeah. So they also visited museums and old army installations to study the technology in the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. And they traveled 800 feet underground into Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico to view the subterranean trails, which would serve as a model for when they approach Atlantis in the film underwater. So if you've ever been to Carlsbad and you see this movie and you go, that looks familiar, that's why. Now you know why. So the main thing was they wanted to avoid the depiction of Atlantis as being like a crumbled Greek sort of ruin, mm -hmm. only underwater. They didn't want that. They wanted it to be this whole architectural thing, including clothes, heritage, customs, how they'd sleep, how they would speak. All of the stuff comes from Kirk Wise himself, by the way. Um, so they brought people on board that would help them to develop out those ideals and they looked at Mayan architecture, styles of ancient, unusual architecture from all around the world, and the directors really liked the look of Southeast Asian architecture, and mm -hmm. so they used some of that. And they also used Cambodian, Indian, and Tibetan architecture and things, too. So basically, the Atlantis we see in the movie is a complete hodgepodge of all kinds of architecture, from ancient civilizations to current and they mushed it all together to make 
Atlantis. I like that they did that. Mm-hmm. I like that they they got away from like your typical, oh, it's just like a a, a, a annex of Greece, you know, ancient Greece that has now fallen into the sea. That 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 it has its own culture and it has its own feel. Because when Plato tells of of Atlantis and in, in his telling of it, it, he was telling it having heard from someone else, mm-hmm. you know, who who I, I don't know if they'd heard from someone else, but they, or they'd found the the books about it or whatever the case may be. And it was it was completely a different culture and a completely different society. It was not a Grecian society that he was telling them about. So I like that. I do too. And I feel like Atlantis is supposed to be the ultimate civilization before the civilization as we know it actually occurred. And mm-hmm. in my mind's eye, I see something that sort of almost like all the different cultures and civilizations that have come today have come from a piece of the Atlantis, you know, like that there was parts of it in all of it, kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, so I like that. And they also talk about that the overall design and circular layout of Atlantis was based on the writings of Plato and that his quote that they actually show at the very beginning of the film, which is, in a single day and night of misfortune, the island of Atlantis disappeared into the depths of the sea, that that was like a major influential part of them creating the world. Right, right. And we are at the Star Trek connection, one of them. So Mark Okrand mm-hmm. was the guy who actually developed Klingon for the Star Trek films. Oh, he's, he's who we have to think. Yeah, he was hired to devise the Atlantean language for Atlantis, the movie. So they got the same guy who developed Klingon to develop Atlantean. I knew they sounded familiar. (laughs) But um, let's see, he was guided by the director's initial concept for it to be a mother language. So sort of something that there's pieces of Atlantean in all other languages in the whole world. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, he employed an Indo-European word stock with its own grammatical structure. And that's what he used to make the spoken language. And then John Emerson actually designed the written component, making hundreds of random sketches of individual letters from among which the directors would choose the ones to best represent the Atlantean alphabet, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then the written language was Boustrof. Feed on, I think is how you say that. I don't know. And the re- so that kind of language, I did some research on what that Bo- is. Boustrophodon. Boustrophodon. It sounds like a dinosaur. <laughs> oh, it does, doesn't it? So basically, it is a bidirectional text that you see in ancient manuscripts. I'm sorry, Boustrophodon. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's a bidirectional text, mostly seen in ancient manuscripts. Every other line of writing is flipped or reversed with reversed letters rather than going left to right in modern English or right to left as in Arabic or Hebrew. They flip it backwards. And um, So you read a line, you read the top line, say right to left, and then you go down, and the next line you're going left to right, and then the next line. Yeah, except for, yeah, and like the letters are flipped like backwards Hmm. or something. And there's a really good explanation of what it would look like. um, And it's on a Wikipedia page that I found. And in the, they have a couple of different kinds, like where the letters are upside down and backwards. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, but what they said that they did, they're reading from top to bottom on this one. 
so they read in the movie it's read left to right on the first line and then mm-hmm. right to left on the second line, right. continuing in a zigzag pattern. And the reason for that was to simulate a flow of water. Mm. And so, I mean, they did a lot of stuff in this movie that you don't even see on the surface. Right, right. Which is so crazy. It's like they Tolkien'd it. They you know? <laughs> well, they, they put more thought into it than just all right, we're going to draw them and do this. Like they were creating a world. They were building a universe. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and usually that stuff goes a long way to add. If you're doing a live action film, it goes a long way to add authenticity to what you're doing in a situation like this just goes a long way to add authenticity in what you're doing. I guess it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate it. You know, with this movie, because I feel like this movie isn't as appreciated as obviously. Like, oh, I, I agree. Yeah, I don't think I definitely don't think it is. And there's definitely, in my opinion, now knowing this, like there's so much more world building happening here than there is in The Little Mermaid. Well, yeah, I of course there is. I, it's not because this is a different genre. And I think that's one of the reasons it wasn't quite as well received or underrated or whatever, you know overlooked however you want to say it is because this is the first action adventure movie animated movie that disney put out there this was this comes in a time when they're beginning to try new things they're they're beginning to get away from um and well you know robin hood was an action adventure but it was also cute animals you know you had you had everything else that may have some action and some adventure but there was it was there was a musical aspect to it this they're just trying to do a straight up animated action adventure movie a la i don't know well i know that uh later on the characters we look at how michael j fox it was either this or titan ae for him Mm -hmm. you know this was kind of the rule of the day they were trying to come back around to the things of of uh of the day of like uh your your transformers or your gi joe and that sort of thing you're just trying to find properties like that and and create stuff like that that people could sink their teeth into and um and so that that accounts for doing it this way because when you're building a when you're building a world like that you've got to have those kind of little details in place. Yeah. So I I say good good on them but I think it's overlooked because people wanted that musical aspect of it. They wanted the the what they were used to from a Disney movie I should say. Yeah, well, they're not going to get that for most of this decade. Oh, so. not at all. <laughs> All right, so hopefully you noticed this, but with the absence of the songs, it kind of presented a challenge of what to do with that space Mm -hmm. where there would be a musical number. And so what it allowed them to do was to have more screen time to really do some character development. And so we get the scene where Milo and the other explorers are camping out and they're telling different stories about how they came to be there and you know who they are as people and that bonding sequence and you wouldn't normally get that in like a pocahontas for example you would yeah it would be they'd either sing a few lines about it or it would be a quick throwaway line of i used to do this now i do this well, and I really like that scene a lot. I feel I like too. it goes a long way to helping to tell the story. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's the whole being a sci-fi nerd kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I really like that kind of storytelling. Yeah. So, yeah. 
At the peak of the production of this film, there were 350 animators, artists, and technicians working on Atlantis from all the different studios. They were all working on it. And this is kind of really cool, this next part. Mm -hmm. The film was one of the very few Disney animated features that was produced and shot in 70 millimeter anamorphic format. (laughs) I had to go look up what anamorphic format was. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, well, why well, is I this just like, I like the way that you... I was trying like, to not mess up the word anamorphic. Yeah, anamorphic format. Well, you know, we're going to get that email from that person that's like, that's not how you, how sure. you do that. I'm with you. All right. So I'm just going to read this word for word because I feel like it's easier. The directors felt that a widescreen image was crucial as a nostalgic reference to old action-adventure films presented in the cinemascope format, which is 2.35 to 1. I have no idea what that means. Um, But noting that Raiders of the Lost Ark was an inspiration. Mm -hmm. So... Because switching to the format would require animation desks and equipment designed for widescreen to be purchased, Disney executives were at first reluctant about the idea, so the production team found a simple solution by drawing within a smaller frame on the same paper and equipment used for standard aspect ratio, which is 1.66 to 1 mm-hmm. for most Disney animated films. Layout supervisor Ed Gertner wrote a guide to the widescreen format for use by the layout artist and mentioned that one advantage of widescreen was that he could keep characters in scenes longer because of additional space to walk within the frame. So, anamorphic format is basically like widescreen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it is, um, it, uh, it, it's a situation where, when you do the anamorphic thing, it's the idea of being able to cover the entire frame instead of just kind of having letter boxes and that sort of thing. And, um, as I understand it, it's, uh, to cinephiles know better than I do about it, but I know you always look for stuff when the, when DVDs became a thing, it was always, all right, is this an anamorphic widescreen? You know, is this in this ratio, that ratio? So it's widescreen versus a square screen, basically. And part of this format was um, from people like David Lean and Akira Kurosawa, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who influenced Star Wars, I think, right? Of course, yes. Okay. So, and then the film's visual style of its animation was strongly based on the comic book artist Mike Mignola. Wow. Who did Hellboy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, and Magnolia was one of the four production designers hired by Disney for the mm-hmm. film. And accordingly, he provided style guides, preliminary character and background designs, and story ideas. And they said that his graphic, angular style was a key influence on the look of the characters. And he um, actually remembers watching a rough cut, and he said... That I remember watching a rough cut of the film and these characters have these big, square, weird hands. And I said to the guy next to me, those are cool hands. And he says to me, yeah, they're your hands. We had a whole meeting about how to do your hands. (laughs) And he said, it was so weird. I couldn't wrap my brain around it. (laughs) Dude, I like how they do those hands. Yeah, that's because that's how you do the hands. We had a whole meeting and spent days figuring out how to do hands the way you did them. Yeah. That's great. 
That's great. So I thought it was so cool. Like when we talked about the world building, I mean, Mm -hmm. they're really going out of the box for this one. We've got comic book artists, people. We've got well, I mean, not only sci-fi people. Yeah, not only the Hellboy stuff there with him. I mean that that was that's I mean that's Mike. That's one of his big claims of fame. But um, but man, he worked with Marvel and DC before he ever did did the Hellboy stuff. And he inked on comics like Daredevil and Power Man and Iron Fist and Incredible Hulk. And um, and then he was at DC and he drew covers for Death in the Family. A lot of Batman fans will know that storyline and that sort of thing. So he is he has comic book cred and it's, you know, it's this neat. It's really cool that he's, you know, that he that he's involved in in this film. Mm hmm. So at the time of its release, Atlantis the Lost Empire was notable for using more CGI than any other Disney animated feature. To increase productivity, the directors had the digital artists work with the traditional animators through the whole production. And Atlantis the Lost Empire was released on VHS and DVD on January 29, 2002. During the first month of its home release, the film led in VHS sales and was third in VHS and DVD sales combined together. Wow. So that's pretty cool. That is, that's, I mean, that, I don't know. That kind of lets me know that maybe this thing has a life beyond what it just was in the movies. Like, this is something that may have, and, and I know we'll talk about it in a minute, but, but it feels like that regardless of the, of the lack of the perceived lack of success, that maybe this would have been one of those things that had a good life afterwards, like if they would have gone on with a show and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. This is definitely a cult following Mm -hmm. movie like the people like how nightmare before christmas has a very cult following Mm -hmm. this is kind of the same thing really because a lot of the people who like mike mignola's work Mm -hmm. are huge fans of this movie yeah well it also has that steampunk aspect to it yeah there is that too um so let's see the film like it led, we talked about that, sales and rentals of the VHS and DVD combined would eventually accumulate $157 million in revenue by mid-2003. Oh, wow. So that's awesome. And then both the single-disc DVD edition and a two-disc collector's edition were released. And on the single-disc DVD, you got the option of viewing the film in either its original theatrical ratio or the modified ratio. Mm-hmm. And the bonus features available on the DVD version included audio and visual commentary from the film team, a virtual tour of the CGI models, an Atlantean language tutorial, and an encyclopedia on the myth of Atlantis, and the deleted Viking prologue scene, which I will talk about in a little bit. Yes. And the two-disc collector's edition DVD contained all of the things from the single-disc version, and a disc with supplemental material detailing, detailing all aspects of the film's production. The collector's edition film could only be viewed in its original theatrical ratio and also featured an optional DTS 5.1 track. Surround sound. sound. Both DVD versions, however, con- contained a Dolby Digital 5.1 track and were THX certified. And then Disney digitally remastered and released Atlantis on Blu-ray on June 11, 2013, bundled with its sequel, Atlantis Milo's Return. And that's what I have and watched. Well, <clears throat> there you go. That's, and, it's, and it's not in the vault right now, I don't believe. Mm-mm. Yeah. You don't have to worry about this one. Because <laughs> I don't want it down here. 
Okay, <laughs> fine. Well, let's do some fun facts. Fun facts. From magical movies. What's happening? What just happened? What is... Wait, what's going on? What is that? I have no idea. What just happened? Oh, my Lanta. Sorry, everyone. I know what it is. This new... This this I I've updated my computer and this um this thing has uh, this program that I use will not save the settings that I've put in it. I'm gonna have to re-download this uh, software. I apologize. So let's do some fun facts. Fun facts. Say it proud and geek out loud. It's fun facts. That was All right. Weird. So the first one is probably the best one. All right. The crew wore T-shirts which read "Atlantis." Fewer songs, more explosions. <laughs> <laughs> now there have been other Disney movies that weren't musicals that we've talked about. Mm, yeah, but not like this one. Right, right. There was none. <laughs> there was no action adventure. But what were some? There were Disney movies that were not that we've talked about recently that weren't musicals. Really? Yes. What? Well, Nimbur's New Groove. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't a musical, but it was a comedy. Mm-hmm. They did know it was a musical because they did their little, they had their musical thing at the beginning. I don't know. It didn't. Hmm. Kuzco. <laughs> I I will look. You continue. Okay. Now this is cool about the written language, the Atlantean A. So if you go and you look up the Atlantean A for mm. Atlantis, is a shape developed by John Emerson. It is a miniature map of the city of Atlantis. The outside of the swirl is the cave, and the inside shape is the silhouette of the city, and the dot in the middle is the location of the crystal. It's a treasure map. Oh, nice. That's cool. Also, Josh Whedon was involved in this film. He was the first writer to be involved with the film, but he soon left to work on other Disney projects. And according to him, he had not a shred to do with this movie. Mm. But they credit him in the credits, so I say he did. Okay, really quickly. Hmm. Let me just run through a couple. Dinosaur. Dinosaur. Hmm. Wasn't a musical. Well, that's clearly... They don't know how to sing. They're dinosaurs. Okay. Well, that's hateful. Was um, that's all tar- you got? Well, so far, but now wait a minute. Was Tar Tarzan was a musical? They yes. had yeah, they had the the musical numbers in that. Um, okay, go ahead. Oh, um, real quick, you brought up dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. There is a calendar at Hallmark for this coming year for 2017, and on the front of it, I think you'll appreciate this. On the front of it, one of the months. It has Noah's Ark in the background mm-hmm. and two dinosaurs standing on a rock. Yep. And one of the dinosaurs says, crap, was that today? <laughs> that sounds like a Far Side comic. Yeah. Um, Rescuers Down Under wasn't really a musical, right? No, but didn't they have a song in there? I don't think so, did they? Was The Great Mouse Detective, did they have a song in The Great Mouse Detective? Yeah, at least one. Okay. Black Cauldron, not a musical? Oh, that one... We kind of forgot about that. <sighs> that one. Fox, Fox Night. Well, no, Fox Night. When you're the best of the friends. Fun. Yeah. Um, Spending so much time together. 
Uh, You're not even aware. Yeah, You're such a funny pair. Anyhow. You're the best of friends. I mean, look, Kendall, My even though he friend. sings, let me ask you something. Even though he sings the Corella DeVille song, Corella. is 100, what other songs are in 101 Dalmatians? Uh, I mean, I know he's a songwriter. We'll have a Dalmatian plantation where our population can roam. That's at the end, right? Yeah. So if you've got one song at the beginning and one song at the end, <laughs> is that a musical? When the when the character is a songwriter? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean I'm not I'm not being critical here. I'm just asking He's a tramp. Right, Lady and the Tramp, definitely a musical. But they love him. So, oh, Canine Crunchy's in there, too. Thank you so canine much, Jess Crunchies Becker. Canine Crunchy's can't be beat. They make each meal a special Yeah, but that's drink. not a song. That's a jingle in a commercial. They didn't, like, spin off and make a whole song like most musicals would. Canine Crunchy's. This is like the, the game of, like, name a song, Teresa will sing it. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. <laughs> that's what we need to do. That should be our next, like, marathon one. Everybody in the chat, someone name a song. Teresa sings it. Okay, done. Stump Teresa. Done. It's it's Stump Teresa. Teresa. Disney Vault Talk, to the Teresa Karaoke Edition. No, you have to play too because you sing fun. Okay. Okay. Um, Where were we? All right, let's see. The initial draft was 155 pages? Yeah. Yeah, Holy the initial cow. draft was 155 pages, which is longer than a typical Disney film script, which is usually about 90 pages. Well, you consider about a minute a page. That's how you do in script writing. So when the first two acts were timed at 120 minutes, they had to cut out stuff. <laughs> wow, of course they did. <laughs> Can't be longer than Titanic, folks. No, God no. And at this point, we can say that because Titanic had already come out. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. So Tab Murphy, who was one of the guys who helped write the script, he said that he created the centuries-old Shepherd's Journal because he needed a map for the characters to follow. I agree with that assessment, because otherwise it would have been weird. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to have a map to follow. Uh, that's kind of a... Tad Murphy, I want to call BS on you. You're just trying to th think of things to talk about. Of course you need a map for the characters to follow. The penitent man will pass. But Jehovah begins with an I. <laughs> In Latin, Jehovah begins with an I. All right, so the character of Milo Thatch mm -hmm. was originally supposed to be the descendant of Edward Teach. What? Who is? Blackbeard the Pirate. Yeah, well, did you read that? Of course did I did, that? yes. <laughs> Wait, yes, you knew that, or yes, you read it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes to both. Of course. <laughs> All right. So the character of Molier or Mole, was originally intended to be very professorial in his, mm. you know, yeah. being. Um, but Chris Urias, story artist, changed the concept to that of a horrible little burrowing creature with a wacky coat and strange headgear. <laughs> Horrible's a bad... Wise Wise calling him horrible. He's not horrible. Well, he said something horrible to Kita because mm. she punched him. Yeah. And then the best part was that Sweet was clapping, and he's like, ooh, I like her. Yes. I like later on when she's like, what's that little animal mole? What kind of animal is he? Is he your pet? 
He's like basically. Hmm. All right. So Han, he's, he's um, one of the director people. He stated that the first animated sequence completed during production. Here we go. Here's your the mm-hmm. part you like. You like when they get rid of stuff. Right. I don't like it when they get rid of stuff. But when it's interesting and right. you're like, ooh, I want to see it. Yes. Was completed during production was the film's prologue. This original version featured a Viking war party using the Shepherd's Journal to find Atlantis and being swift, swiftly dispatched by the Leviathan. Ooh. Near the end of the production, story supervisor John Sanford told the directors that he felt the prologue did not give viewers enough emotional involvement for the Atlanteans. Despite knowing that the Viking prologue was finished and that it would cost additional time and money to alter the scene, they eventually agreed, and so they went with the opening that we have now mm-hmm. where we see the perspective of the Atlanteans and Princess Kita losing her mom. Right, but because it wouldn't, be a Disney, Viking, it wouldn't be a Disney movie unless somebody's parents die. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so the Viking prologue is included as an extra feature in that DVD release. I need to watch that. Now, several critics and scholars have noted that Atlantis plays strongly on the themes of anti-capitalism and anti-imperialism. And they explicitly look at Captain Rourke or Commander Rourke or General Rourke, whatever, Mm -hmm. Rourke, that guy, as being motivated by capitalist greed. Okay. Which I would agree with. Right. Did he not remind you of Clayton from Tarzan? Yeah. Because he reminded me of that. Also, I made a comment. That any time they want to make a villain look even more evil, they put fire behind them. <laughs> That's true. Because they That's get true. crazy eyes. Yes, they get the crazy eyes. Yeah. <laughs> With the fire. I tell you, the, the thing about Disney villains, human Disney villains men, is there's a lot of hair tonic in the hair. They like to, they like to, they like to pull that hair back. Hairs. Yeah. Yeah. They like to pull that hair back. And I'm like, no. Anyway. Okay. So Atlantis the Lost Empire was actually meant to be a springboard for an animated te- television series entitled Team Atlantis. Team which Atlantis. Was, Team Atlantis, which have presented the further adventures of its characters. However, because of the film's underperformance at the box office, the series was not produced. On May 20th, 2003, Disney did release a direct-to-video sequel called Atlantis Milo's Return, which Teresa has watched almost all of and we can comment on in a minute. And it consisted of three episodes planned for the aborted series. It is true. That is that is a fact. And also at Disneyland, they had originally planned to revive the submarine voyage ride that is kind of like in between Tomorrowland and over by the um, that one ride. The one ride in the mountain that I can't think of. Um, Space Mountain? Mine train. No, it's only there. Oh, man. No, it's only at Disneyland, and my brain is breaking. Somebody tell me the ride that's in the mountain. The one that's in the one that actually looks like a mountain. Um, It's over there. And they ended up just quietly going, okay, well, we're not going to theme it. The Matterhorn. <laughs> there we go. Thank the you, Dave Atterbury. Um. They canceled the plans and they reopened the ride in 2007, themed to Finding Nemo instead. Didn't it used to be a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a bullet point here to reference a podcast called The Tiara Talk Show. Mm-hmm. And basically, I haven't listened to it yet. I'm going to, but it looks like this particular person interviews people that are all a part of Disney, different things. Oh, wow. And so, like, 
episode 84, for example, she interviewed Aaron Mackey, who was the twin double for Lindsay Lohan and Lindsay Lohan's version of The Parent Trap. So she interviews all these different people. Well, there was a 15th anniversary for Atlantis, The Lost Empire. And so she interviewed, and they, this goes episode 88 to episode 92. She interviewed Claudia Christian, who was Helga Sinclair, so the blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, she interviewed David Pruxma, who was um, the supervising animator for Mrs. Packard. Corey Burton, who was Mole. Phil Morris, who was Dr. Sweet. Gary Trousdale, who was the with the one of the directors. And then... Um, well, she interviewed Don Han. He was also a part of this, but she interviewed him for something else. But So she interviewed all these people that were a part of Atlantis, The Lost Empire. So I'm planning to go back and listen. So it's episode 88, 89, 90, and 91, mm-hmm. and 92. So I'm kind of like, ooh, this is interesting. I want to I wanna know. I want to know. So, yeah. Yay. Okay. All right. Well, you... Um you mentioned that you've watched the sequels a little bit, which is basically the first three episodes of what would have been the animated series squished together. Right. And it doesn't play well as a movie. No, it does not. You can very much tell that it is. it was not made to be a movie or a film. Mm-hmm. You can tell that it was very episodic because you know how cartoons... They sort of go to black mm-hmm. at the end. So this does that. It goes to black at the end of the episode and then comes back in and you're back in at the very beginning of the next episode. And it's in, they're in to- two totally different places. One of them is in like some weird, crazy island covered in fog. And then the next one, they're like in the deserts of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. It's very strange and... Not strange in a bad way. Like, if it was a TV show, I think it would be fine. Right, sure. Because it's the end of the see... show, and you're coming back to a new episode when you come back. Right. And the, even the animation is very TV show quality, and it's mm-hmm. not film quality. And I can say the animation in this movie, while it may not be on par with, like, Little Mermaid or something like that, it's definitely movie style. Yeah. Whereas the animation for Milo's Return, Atlantis Milo's Return, is very TV quality yeah because for the most part except for in things like rebels for example or maybe some of the marvel shows that you watch um the animation is not oh no there's definitely there's a there's a big difference between feature film animation and what is done for television yeah and especially in the 2d days when you when you would compare um, well, just go back and watch, say, an episode of the Transformers and compare that to the feature film Transformers. Mm-hmm. Um, even there was even a difference many times in what you could see on Saturday mornings. There was a difference in quality in the Saturday morning cartoon versus a cartoon that would run five days a week. Mm-hmm. So it's just about the time being able to be spent and that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, for sure. Now, they do, when you first start the movie, you get introduced to Kita, and it's very much the introduction for a TV show, where, and she says something like, you know, eight million years ago, my villain, my... Eight million? Eight, whatever. I don't remember <laughs> what she said. Eight thousand years ago. 
something. A bajillion years ago, my city was lost to blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But now we are thriving, and I, my name is Kita, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I already know this. I was like, oh, you're telling this to the kids for the TV show. That's I get right. it. I got gotcha. you. I got go. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can watch Milo's Return. It's on Netflix if you feel so compelled. Yeah, I, d- I don't know that I do. Nah, it's all right. But I'm not against it either. Yeah, I, I eventually I stopped. Well, I didn't start watching that immediately. After I finished Atlantis, um, all Greg wanted to watch was um, Lilo and Stitch, which is next. Right. And so I was like, okay. So I was watching it, and then he fell asleep. So I was like, well, I'll watch the Atlantis thing. And he's like, are you watching that second Atlantis thing? And I said, yeah. And he's like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Can't help myself. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to do research. Can't help myself. I take it back. Yeah. Um, Cobra Bubbles. A lot of great um, voice actors in this thing, though. Yes, there were. Um, so Michael J. Fox of course. was Milo Thatch. And James, story, Arnold, James Arnold Taylor plays Milo Thatch in the sequel thing, doesn't he? That's one of the reasons I wanted to watch it. Yeah, yeah. So Michael J. Fox plays Milo Thatch, and actually the story was that his son picked which film that he would do. He was being offered Titan A.E. or Atlantis, and his son chose Atlantis. Didn't Matt Damon end up doing Titan A.E.? I don't know. Matt Damon. Did you ever see Titan A.E.? No. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Now, th- James I don't know if Garner I did either. was Commander Tiberius Rourke, mm-hmm. which I don't feel he should have the name Tiberius because that sounds like Star Trek. Oh my gosh! James Tiberius Kirk. His name is Lyle Tiberius Rourke. So yeah, close. Matt Damon was in Titan A.E. That's right. So um, he was asked if he would do the role, if he was interested, and he said that he would do it in a heartbeat. So. Well, now Western. let's not and let's not gloss over James Garner for crying out loud. He's a Western star, right? Well, he's Maverick. Oh, I knew I knew the name. Rockford Files, Maverick. He is. If you saw him, you'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I know who he is." Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. He, um, yeah, he's he is a legend, a Hollywood legend, um, television and, and film. So. James Garner, ladies and gentlemen. And yeah, he sounds great. Like, there were moments where I thought, is that Tommy Lee Jones? <laughs> All right. So, the girl that plays Kita, well, her name is Cree Summer. I love and... what you're about to tell us. What? I love what you're about to tell us. So, I researched her, mm-hmm. and she's done a lot of animation and a lot of video games. But the most important, I was looking for something. I was like, give mm-hmm. me something, give me something awesome. And right towards the beginning of her film credits, she was the voice of Princess Nisa in the Ewok cartoon. How great is that? It's amazing. How great is it? And so I'm going to just start. I'm going to start scrolling down some stuff because I just saw uh, flipping Inspector Gadget. Mm-hmm. Um, was she Penny? Oh, I don't know. Well, I'm about to find out. How about that? Um, listen, Penny. She played Penny. Holy crap! Penny was Kita. Penny from Inspector Gadget. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, I mean, I watched Inspector Gadget. Well, that was his niece. It was always doing the, the solving the things for him. Mm-hmm. What I care more about is that she was in the Care Bears movie and the Care Bears movie too, A New Generation. She was Christine. Mm, okay. Uh, you you mentioned Princess Niece. We got to have her on. Yeah. Let, let me let me go find a Cree Summer. Yeah, we'll find her. 
Well, look at the stuff she's done. She did... Uh, um, Garbage Pail Garbage Kids. Garbage Pail Kids. Superman, the TV series from 1988. That was the Ruby Spears cartoon show that was on the real Ghostbusters. Chili Cooper. In Bobby's World. Tiny Toon Adventures. Um, she's oh my god! Look at this on Tiny Toon Adventures. She's Elmira Duff, Mary Melody, kind the kind lady, the aerobics instructor, <laughs> Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. Winfrey. <laughs> she was uh, Pearl in The Little Mermaid. That's crazy. She was Lisa Adams on The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Let's see, Captain Planet and the Planeteers. She had a couple of parts there. Sure did. Gee whiz, like, she is a very accomplished. Worked a lot in, once again, Animaniacs. Elmira Duff in the Animaniacs. Um, Gargoyles, the Goliath Chronicles. Yeah, she has a great, she's got a... Jungle Cubs. She Prince was, Louie. She was uh, Natasha Irons in, uh, in the Steel episode of Superman the Animated Series in the late 90s. Susie she Carmichael played she from Hulk. the Rugrats movie. She played She-Hulk in the Incredible Hulk series in the late 90s. Hello? Mm-hmm. Incredibly accomplished. But Nisa, that's the, that's the thing right there. Princess Nisa from the Ewoks cartoon back in the day. That's huge. Um, look at this woman's credits. We got to have her on. Just to, just to say, all right, tell us all about everything. And it'll all, and played, it'll be. I stood in front of a microphone and I read my lines. <laughs> she played Pilgrim and Kermit's mom and star in Kermit's Swamp Years. Yep, I'm loving this. Anyhow, so this has gone from a podcast about uh, Atlantis, the Lost Empire, to the voice of Keita Cree Summer, and her vast, vast. Um, she was Luminara Unduli in the Tartakovsky Star Wars. Oh, nice! Wars. See, more Star Wars connections. She plays well, Nebula. See, here's the thing. The she last plays thing. Nebula in the Guardians of the Galaxy featuring um, our friend Vanessa Marshall as Gamora. Uh-huh. The, one of the last things she has on her IMDb is that she played a voice in Star Wars Detours. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing about this credit is that it says Star Wars Detours and it says 2016 to nothing. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means that they're just going to keep upping that year every year. It doesn't come out. Dang it. Yeah. Now, I did like the guy who played Vinny. Mylanta, she plays She plays Hagar in the new Voltron thing on Netflix. Oh, nice. Sorry. Anyhow, let me get away from Cree Summer. Hello, Cree Summer. Um, we'll have to have her on. Um, go ahead. You were saying? I like Don Novello that played Vinny. He was hilarious. He yes. Oh, yeah. He was. <laughs> he sounded like, um, uh, like uh, the the father from Saturday Night Live. What was that guy's name? Anyhow, yeah, he tripped me out. The uh, the stuff he would say. Well, so apparently they would give him dialogue, and mm-hmm. he would read the line once, and he'd never read it again. So his entire performance was improv. Nice. I love that. That's I love cool. It. Phil, Phil Morris. I mean, hello, Phil Morris, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Phil Morris was um, Jackie Childs in, uh, in, in Seinfeld. But he was also, for you Smallville fans, if you're like me, and I know you are, he played the Martian Manhunter 
in Smallville. He's Miles Dyson in Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He has voiced so many different superhero and geek stuff. I mean, he's just, and he's got a bit of geek in him. And so when I saw, when I heard his voice and saw his name as uh, sweet, I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Sorry, I'm looking someone up. Um, let's see. There was just a bunch of people mm-hmm. in here. Jim Varney yeah. was Cookie. God rest his soul. I, I th- know. When I heard him, I forgot that I didn't realize he was in this, and I heard his voice. I'm like, holy crap, that's Jim Varney. And uh, and I had to look it up to make sure. But um, Now, probably the one that stood out to me the most that I was like, I know who that is, mm-hmm. was... Fenton Q. Harcourt, he's the board member that told Milo to basically go jump off a bridge. <laughs> um, he's played by David Ogden Steers, mm-hmm. who is Cogsworth, who is Governor Ratcliffe in Pocahontas, mm, who's okay. Jumba in yeah. Lilo and Stitch. I was like, I know that guy. So you caught him. Mm-hmm. You caught his voice. And uh, then Corey. Greg caught John Mahoney, who plays Preston Whitmore, because he's from Frasier. Oh, yeah? Who does he play in Frasier? He's their dad. That's, he's oh, from- Yeah. Yeah, that's true. John Mahoney, I knew I knew that name. Um, Corey Burton, does, mm-hmm. it plays Mole, and Corey Burton, I mean, he's a legend. He's a voice acting legend, so no need to get into all of his uh, his stuff. But yeah, this they had a great cast. Leonard Nimoy is it, it immediately recognizable when, when he starts talking uh, as the king. Um, but... Uh, but this voice cast, I, here's the thing. We, we said it at the top. It's not a bad movie. No, it's not a bad movie at all. Why is it overlooked, do you think? <sighs> you know, I think it came on the heels of the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. And when they started to change their animation style and they started to change the way they were doing movies and they... They just started to change stuff. I mean, that's evident with Hercules, and it's evident with Tarzan, and all of these movies that really are not as well-received. I mean, Hercules and Tarzan still follow the same Disney traditional let's sing and dance about everything movie, but yet their reception is still kind of down low, where... They're, you know, you because it's not and it's not a princess movie. They're not princess movies, and um, then we move into things like Fantasia two thousand, which was another step away from the traditional. And then you got Emperor's New Groove. A lot of these movies, I think, don't didn't get discovered by people in the theaters. They've been discovered by people on home video, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and people love them because they it's a part of their childhood from home video Mm -hmm. you know when beauty and the beast wasn't available to rent well this is a disney movie let's rent that yeah i I mean that's a great point i just it's interesting that you know this is to me when you like when you watch emperor's new groove and you watch hercules that animation style compared to this seems almost crude Mm -hmm. this animation style is like it's 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 sharp it's good and yeah there's a little bit stylized you know they talk about the hands and everything we talked about mike mignola looking at the hands and everything but there's a little bit of stylization to it but ultimately it's it's almost a return to even with all of the computer generated stuff in there it's almost a return to that disney style like it looks like a disney movie those characters look like disney characters that um 
and and it's got the magic and it's got the the character who's just dreaming of proving himself right and you know and making his grandfather proud and all this other stuff and it's got all the right character beats and everything it's just to me it's just missing that musical aspect and i say missing i mean that's the only element that i can see that is not a part of this that Outside of a princess, which I guess Kita is technically a princess. She is. And see, look, see here, yet we have another girl who is not a Disney princess, but yet she is. And she, you know how they talk about Elsa as being like the first Disney queen? Mm-hmm. Pretty sure Kita had it first. Mm. Yeah, but she wasn't as popular as Elsa. But why was she not as popular? Because Disney didn't market her. Because um, Adina Menzel didn't sing a song about her or by her. What you but you see what I'm saying? It's I like know, Disney. Agree, yeah. Disney created this mm-hmm. on their own through the fact that they didn't they they didn't do it. Like yeah. they didn't make her right. If what we, she we could have been. And I'm sorry, but Kita, like as much as I love Anna and Elsa, and I mm-hmm. do, um, Kita's a little Kita more ba is a kick ass female okay. character, yeah. like a fully empowered female character, and. I even made in my head a comparison of the of Helga being like a front and center female character mm-hmm. kind of running the show. Yeah. Now she was sort of being told what to do by stupid workman. And she was she was in she was on board with it. She was part of the plan. And she was part of the plan and mm-hmm. then she ended up saying, you know, something snappy and I shoot your balloon down. Right. And then you she know? got and then she got knocked off that balloon. But like she, she was an amazing character too, and yet I don't have a key to toy. Mm-mm. No, and she kind of saved the day. She did. She was like, you know, the heart of the the thing, mm-hmm. the city, yeah. or the, the civilization. Well, I think we should start a campaign to reestablish Kita as not only a Disney princess but the first Disney queen. Yeah, she was the first Disney yeah. queen. So I want to point out something too. Daniel and Indy had mentioned that this is a this movie is a lot like um Stargate. Mm. Like right down to him being picked up in the rain at the beginning. Um and the character in Stargate's parents died and he was raised by his grandfather. Uh the Stargate character is an archaeologist, has crazy ideas like Milo. Uh Daniel, who is the character in Stargate, is approached to do translations for the gate as well as get them home. Milo's approached to translate the Shepherd's Journal and get them to Atlantis. Uh, Daniel marries the leader's daughter. Uh, Milo marries the chief's daughter or the king's daughter. At the end, Daniel stays behind on Abydos and uh, to be with her, and Milo stays in Atlantis. Milo so. didn't marry anybody. Yeah, but he stayed in Atlantis. So? He didn't marry her. Look, it's the whole thing about... Um, that he's just making... He's drawing comparisons. I didn't it's see a cool a wedding. comparison. I'm no, it's kidding. not about... I'm a, kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Did you ever see Stargate? As a sci-fi uh, fan, as a sci-fi nerd, Stargate's not the same thing as Battlestar Galactica, right? No, Stargate. The fir- and I'm know. not talking about the series. I'm talking about the movie. Wait, are they the same thing? There's a movie called Stargate, and okay. the, the series was kind of a spinoff of the movie. But the movie's what was the watching. series called? Stargate. Then no. Okay. <laughs> I'm asking. <laughs> I'm just, ju- you know, I don't know everything about yeah. everything. You should watch. I, I would encourage you to watch the Stargate movie. Does Stargate any? like Firefly because if so I can't watch it I have a hard time no no the I movie... want to like a Firefly but I don't right again I'm not telling you to watch the series I can't vouch for the series I'm telling you to watch the movie Stargate okay <laughs> upon which the series is ba- is based 
Anyhow, it has Kurt Russell and James Spader in it. Oh, James Spader. Yeah. James Spader is the guy from The Office at the end of The Office. That's right. He also played Ultron. And he also plays that mm-hmm. scary guy in The Blacklist. Yeah. Uh, the score of this movie is fantastic. James Newton Howard. Yes, and I actually wanted to talk about this because it's interesting when you don't have songs mm-hmm. like you have you don't have any Sherman Brothers songs or anything and you have a score so you have to approach it as like a live action film is what he said and he needed different musical themes for the different cultures and for the surface world versus Atlantis and so in the case of Atlantis he chose an Indonesian orchestral sound incorporating chimes bells and gongs and the directors told Howard that the film would have a number of key scenes without dialogue and so he would they would need the score to convey the emotion mm-hmm. and i think he did a fantastic job oh i did too james newton howard is a great composer um and and this movie is just is one of his his good works he it really is a good score and it's one of the things that stands out when you watch the movie mm-hmm. um right down to the uh um the the whole uh the action adventure stuff the con- the the stuff as you said conveying emotion the way he had to convey emotion um it just it i think it works and i think that you know he's one of these composers that when people start talking composers sometimes they don't really um bring him up you know they go to of course to john williams or a uh or or a michael giacchino these days or uh a james horner or that sort of thing but James Newton Howard is very prolific in his career and has done a lot of great work. But didn't isn't he didn't he do Hunger Games or uh, something from the Hunger Games? James Newton Howard? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I yes. Like I'm sorry, he composed yeah, he composed it. Yeah. I mean look, he's I'm not saying he's people don't know who he is. I'm just saying that like when people start he's talking doing about, fantastic beasts and where to find them. Right. When people start talking about great composers, for some reason he's not one that comes up, but he is he is up there with your James Horners and your um and your John Williams and that sort of not John Williams, but you know, he's up there. Oh, he did Larry Crown. I like the music from mm-hmm, that one. Mm-hmm. And the tourist. <laughs> and let's see what else. The Dark Knight. Well, yeah, he had he took part in that, yeah. He played. He played piano. Ooh. Blood Diamond. He'd worked with M Night Shyamalan a lot. Um, Shyamalan. Yeah, and he did a. And there's some good scores, even though the movies might not be that great. Oh, there's look at that. Scores. What's that? So our next movie is Sleepy and Stitch. Yeah. But after that, it's Treasure Planet, and mm-hmm. he did the music for Treasure Planet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Get that. All kinds of connections, but yeah. here's a here's a Star Wars connection. Okay. Gary Rydstrom and his team from Skywalker Sound did sound production. Mm-hmm. And so they had to make a bunch of different sounds for the film. So they were focusing on the machine and mechanical sounds of the early industrial era for the explorers. And he felt that the Atlanteans should have a more organic sounds using ceramics and pottery. And so the sound made by the Atlantean flying fish vehicles posed a particular challenge. And how he decided to do that is he was sitting at the side of a highway recording one day when a semi-truck drove by at high speed. And when he sped that up on his computer, he felt like it sounded very organic. And so that's what we hear for the film for the flying fish. Mm -hmm. 
And then he created the harmonic chiming of the heart of Atlantis by rubbing his finger along the edge of a champagne flute and the sound of the subpods moving through water with a water pick. Oh, cool. I love hearing that kind of stuff, like about how they dis- how they make sounds out of things. Yeah. So cool. I mean, I really, I actually really quite like this movie. I was kind of dreading it, and then after I watched it, I was like, you know, this movie is way better than I give it credit for in my head. Oh, sure, yeah. Again, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those forgotten, um, forgotten works from from Disney that just it it works. At the end of the day, this movie works, and it's um, you know, right down from from Michael. Jay Fox's work all the way to 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 just the animation to the story um you know you kind of get worried there at the end that Keita's about to die that she goes you don't see her mother after her mother did the same thing she did you're like well did her mother die is that what happened mm-hmm. here and um you know but here she is uh you know she comes back you're like whoo thank god uh, <laughs> I'm glad the king got off his tail and did something he should have done a long time ago um but it's just a it's a really cool movie and like i say it still keeps with it that aspect of magic and imagination that marks a disney film that marks a mm-hmm. disney property it it keeps that there and i do think it's something that if they revisited and marketed the right way that um could be really good for disney and uh and and could really add a lot to to what they've got you know, in the parks and, and that sort of thing. And um, like I say, this Kita person, I feel like they're missing an opportunity to really market her to the girls. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that I think she doesn't look like any particular, you know, race of people or anything like that. And I think that's part of her appeal. She's just a very awesome female. And I think she really should get more attention than she gets. And I really like her as a character. I like the dynamic between her and Milo. I like, I have two kind of favorite scenes, sort of the scene where they start talking to each other and he's trying to speak Atlantean Mm -hmm. and then it turns into French and then you start hearing all these other dialects and I thought that was really cool. And then also I really like the water scene where they went swimming and went really deep for a long period of time and I was like, okay, this is a little far-fetched, but whatever, (laughs) I'll let it go. (laughs) Well, when, when she, when they go to do that scene and she goes and takes off her little wrap, I'm like... Oh, all right. Well, we got a little. We're we're challenging the Little Mermaid for the most risque scene in cinema so far, in an animated <laughs> cinema. But, but I yeah, I thought I thought it was good. And not having the songs like, you think about in a musical when they're doing that swimming scene, that's when the music would kick in. That's mm-hmm. when they'd be like, I can't believe I can't hold my breath this long. I'm gonna swim with this girl. You know that kind of thing. That was my. Yes, that was those my are the lyrics. <laughs> That's my Atlantis song. Swimming to, to read an ancient tablet. That's right. Way under the water where I will die. Discovering ancient wonders with my really hot new girlfriend. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, well, look, I really enjoyed this movie. And I don't know that I will be visiting with the sequel slash smushed up episodes of the, yeah, of the planned series. But this is a movie that I can definitely see myself revisiting again, just to watch it again. Um, yeah. You know, because I feel like it's definitely good enough to watch for multiple viewings. And if you've not watched it or you haven't watched it in a while, I would encourage anyone to go back and, and check it out. It's, it's definitely worth your time. 
so that's it. Therese, anything else to say about Atlantis, the Lost Empire? No, but we need to start a campaign. Hashtag Kita for president. Oh, that's right. Hashtag Princess um, Kita. <laughs> Hashtag Queen Kita. Hashtag Queen Kita. Okay. K-I-D-A. K-I-D-A. And so coming up next is our 42nd animated oh, film, man. Lilo and Stitch. How many tears will you shed? This is going to be, I can't wait to do this. When we talk just, about Lilo and Stitch. I can't wait to do it. <laughs> Looking forward to it. It'll be fun. It'll be the next episode of Disney Vault Talk. Teresa, tell people how they can get in touch with us. You can contact us in between shows. Send us an email to vaulttalk at gmail.com. That's vaulttalk with two G, two Gs. <laughs> That's the how you spell it. <laughs> Don't put any. Wait, there's no Gs in there at all. There's no Gs. No Gs in the middle. <laughs> it's vaulttalk with two Ts in the middle. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Disney Vault Talk. On Twitter, we are at Disney Vault Talk. On Twitter and Instagram, I am at Ice Cold Penguin. Steve is at Steve Glosson. And please make sure that you follow the entire network of Gulliver's shows at Gulliver's. That's G-O-L-I-V-E-R-S-E. And if you want to support the shows, you can do so at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Uh, patreon.com slash geekoutloud. We just released our exclusive pod for the month of August over there. Uh, I watched Star Wars and talk through the whole movie, but I made a very neat uh, revelation for myself. and uh, uh, I discovered something new in Star Wars for the first time. Even after 40 years of watching this movie, I, I discovered something new. So check it out by supporting us at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. If you shop at Amazon, please use the Amazon links. You'll find it at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. When you use those links to shop, it really, really helps us out, and we greatly appreciate your help through that we've got some information about our t-shirts coming up head over to geekoutonline.com slash shirts to buy your uh yo-yo and flamingo shirt uh to support disney vault talk and uh but we've got some more information about shirts coming very soon excited about what's coming with our t-shirt situation that does it for us i thank you so much Teresa, for hanging out with me this afternoon on a very special afternoon edition of disney vault talk and i had a good time uh, to everyone else, thank you for joining us. Those who joined us live at Mixer.com slash Goalaverse. Those who joined us uh, on iTunes through or through the podcast. If you haven't left us a rating interview on iTunes, please do so. It really, really helps. Until next time, I'm Steve. Hi. <laughs> wait, wait, Teresa? What happened? I muted my mic because mm. of the lawn people outside okay so he's steve and i'm Teresa. that's right may all your days be magical (laughs) bye Bye. (laughs) and may all your wishes come true we'll see you next time everyone